The Public News Service Daily Newscast, July the 13th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. The U.S. Department of Justice wants to block an Arizona law that requires what a lawsuit calls onerous documentary proof of citizenship in order to register to vote. Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark claims in the suit that Arizona's bill violates the National Voter Registration Act and will prevent some eligible voters from getting onto the voter rolls for certain federal elections. Alex Gulata, with the Arizona chapter of All Voting is Local, says regardless of the court's decision, it won't affect voters this year and wouldn't go into effect until the 2023 and 2024 elections. That bill has a new documented proof of residence requirement that basically means that Folks that don't have an Arizona state-issued ID, that's snowbirds, students, lots of low-income people, are going to have a more difficult time registering to vote in the future. Proponents of the law say it would make elections more secure, but the DOJ complaint suggests it would pose an undue barrier and that the current laws already verify that only citizens residing in Arizona vote in Arizona. I'm Lee Bolke, reporting. The proposal would also require election outreach to Native American tribes, ensure assistance for voters with disabilities, and reduce campaign contribution limits. The Tennessee trigger ban on abortion slated to go into effect next month. Some experts say the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade could pave the way for more women to be prosecuted for conduct during pregnancy. University of Tennessee law professor Wendy Bach explains state judges have previously used a so-called fetal assault law to jail a pregnant person on probation if a court has evidence that they're using drugs. Bach predicts the SCOTUS decision opens the doors to state legislatures passing more laws that punish pregnant people instead of providing help and treatment. There's a woman who is charged for criminal conduct for um, falling down a flight of stairs. So the range of conduct that we are talking about that prosecutors have decided to charge is significant. Bach adds the fetal assault statute was not renewed by the legislature in 2016 and is no longer law. However, she says Tennessee prosecuted and jailed about 120 women between 2014 and 2016 for potentially harming the fetuses they carried by taking narcotics. Nadia Ramlagan reporting. And from CNN, the revelation that the House January 6th Committee notified the Department of Justice of an alleged attempt by former President Trump to contact a witness is the latest product of the panel's probe to involve law enforcement. CNN reports that detail presented by the vice chairwoman, Liz Cheney, was perhaps the most unexpected moment of the hearing on Tuesday. This is PNS. There is new work being done in Ohio now to help free people caught in the complex web of a domestic violence, addiction, and mental health. Cheryl Stahl is heading up the Ohio Domestic Violence Network's new substance use mental health project. She explains most survivors who seek services are facing multiple traumas and concerns. You're working with women who, say from childhood, have had sexual abuse experiences and then state people who are abusive, those people perhaps are using drugs, they get introduced to drugs, they may have mental health concerns that are being masked by the trauma. Research indicates between 47 and 90 percent of women who seek substance use disorder treatment say they've experienced domestic violence. Mary Sherman reporting. And the busy season of U.S. Supreme Court decisions has come to an end. Among the policies justices struck down is the federal government's ability to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. 
Eric, take it off because there's a perspective for Idaho. Justices ruled the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency needs approval from Congress to address something big and new like climate change, reversing the agency's attempt to regulate coal-fired power plants. The decision places more responsibility on states to govern carbon emissions. Marie Kellner from the Idaho Conservation League says her group is disappointed with the decision, but notes it may not affect Idaho's trajectory much. Here in Idaho, we're moving in the right direction, and I actually don't have a lot of concern that this opinion is going to change or reverse that direction because the market's already making it happen. We're moving in that way. Idaho Power, which serves 600,000 customers across southern Idaho and eastern Oregon, has already committed to providing 100% clean energy by 2045. Avista, which has 400,000 electric customers in the northwest, similarly plans to provide 100% clean power by 2045. Despite that ruling, the Biden administration says that it's still intending to cut fossil fuel emissions completely from the electricity sector by the year 2035. Finally, Suzanne Potter tells us a new ballot measure to support arts education will go before California voters come November. The measure does not provide new money, but rather directs districts to prioritize existing funds. Richard DeHaven is with Children's Playtime Productions in Palm Desert, which has offered in-school and after-school children's theater programs for 27 years. Just as much as math teaches them 2 plus 2 and how to get along in life and how to balance their checkbooks, the arts teach them how to have empathy, how to be better people, how to have confidence and interact. Confidence is a huge one. Opponents favor a focus on reading, writing, and math and say the measure would limit school districts' flexibility. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service. Member and listeners supported heard on great radio stations, your favorite podcast platform, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.